What's the latest? Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Devin Uglin and Ronnie Flores here with you for episode number 82. Ronnie, the Lakers look like absolute crap last night. Um, the Nuggets were able to take game three and kind of get back into the series a little bit, I guess. Um, you know, we're kind of, we're in, what's interesting to me is we're an Anthony Davis buzzer beater away from the Lakers being down two to one, which is, you know, you think about it, if Davis misses that shot, he didn't obviously, but if he misses that shot, uh, the Lakers are not looking too hot right now. Um, they had a, a kind of a crappy first half and third quarter effort and tried to make a comeback in the fourth, but it was, uh, too little too late. And Jamal Murray hit a, uh, like a step back deep three, that sealed the game. He had 28 points and 12 assists. My overall take of the game, the Lakers are not good from playing from behind. Um, I know they had a comeback in game number uh, two, but again, uh, they look gassed. Uh, they look, you know, like they struggled offensively. If guys outside of LeBron and Anthony Davis aren't making shots, they're in trouble. Um but the biggest thing I saw, Ronnie, Anthony Davis, 43 minutes and two rebounds. If you are a seven-footer playing the four or the five position in the NBA in the Western Conference Finals, you have to have more than two rebounds. Two rebounds. That's, yeah. that's insane to me. Well, yeah, his, his play would be really magnified, like you said, if he doesn't hit that shot and they're down 2-1. Right. Um. My my issue with him, even it showed again in game two, the game they won on his buzzer beater, is when the ball is reversed or the ball is on the perimeter, he doesn't fight at all to get into good position on the block at all. So when he gets the post-entry pass or gets the ball, he's always like right on the three-point line or right in, one step in it for him, you know, big step, maybe 20 feet out. 19 feet out like he never gets the ball in prime position and makes a move and like maybe draws a double team and kicks it out or uh, kicks it to the corner whenever he draws a double team it's really far from the basket now yeah. maybe it's a little bit by design because there, there's cutters but i think it's because he just doesn't fight for real estate <laughs> so if he doesn't fight for good position on the post entry pass he ain't fighting for good position on the offensive rebounds you know like he's just no not active in that regard like he's a great offensive player he's a great player all the way around but yeah like i could see that happening once in a while i think people look at it as um i don't know they're just frustrated at times by him is it effort Devin? is it just a smooth guy just talented and good all-around player you know he's obviously honestly the lakers most talented player now and now with lebron's advanced aged I, I think so, you know, I mean, but why, why does he have those games once in a while? What, what, what do you think? So, yeah, I mean, obviously Anthony Davis is a top two, three talent in the league, right? Yeah. For, you know, with LeBron, Harden, uh, Kawhi Leonard, you know, th those are the guys that you look at as the best players in the NBA. This matchup is not good for him with Jokic because Jokic is so big and strong. Yeah, he doesn't want he any gets, part of that. Yeah, he gets rooted out. Um pretty easily because he's thin and he's, you know, he doesn't have the, he doesn't have great strength. And I think he prefers to operate on the perimeter rather than be an interior guy, and which is up. why. Yeah. Yeah. He likes to face up and attack that way and, you know, shoot threes or shoot fadeaway jumpers or whatever it may be. Even when, even in the, the Houston series, when PJ Tucker was guarding him, who, you know, gave up 
six or seven inches, he was still shooting fadeaway jumpers when he was in the mid post. Yeah, that's what's irritating because so, he's not right. Like you said, he's not getting deep in the post and stealing right. this guy and scoring, which Jokic does very well. Yeah, he's so yeah, good. He just he just backs the guy in and gets the good position, even right. if he doesn't have the the favorable position. But he does work harder to get the position than AD. But you're right. Even when AD goes up against a, a defender his size or smaller, he still ends up falling away many times. It's and he's like, dude. Uh, the one thing. Yeah. yeah, the one the, the thing that really bothers me about him is every other play down the court, he's on the floor. It, like he's falling, you know, he's getting knocked over. It's like his base is so wiry and unbalanced. He's just always on the floor. It's like, dude, you're going to get hurt that way. And obviously as someone who's a fan of the Los Angeles Lakers, I don't want him, I don't want him to get hurt. I, I want him to stay on his feet. Um yeah, the but yeah, you stay on your feet. You have, you know, you, your base. You you're not going to get as hurt as much. You would think. You know, some players right. are wild. You know, some players are just wild. Uh, who's a wild player that was like, he was a little bit wild. Uh, I'm trying to think of a guy. I guess Russell Rusbrook is a little like that. Sure. Yeah. He's, you know, he's a little like whoa. He's always sliding and falling. He's you know, violent. He's, a big, he's a, yeah. He's a strong <laughs> guy though. So maybe that's not the greatest uh, comparison. But I'll think of one. As we're as we're shooting this pod, uh, you know, yeah, it's it it, it could be frustrating. I, I know what you're saying. I I worry about when LeBron falls. Dude, be, yeah, when he shot that three late yeah. and he knew it was yeah. off, and he goes running in there like he's Larry Bird to try to like get to the rebound for everybody. I'm like, oh my god, dude, he's gonna hurt himself. Like he just looks like a big tank when he goes down. It's like George Foreman going down against Muhammad. Like <laughs> Timber, he's just like a huge guy, and like he's just not nimble no more, you know. And just at, at thirty five years old, like, whoa, when he falls, it's like a big, like it takes him like a minute to get back up, you know. He just he's not quick on his feet no more, like it's just oh, not, yeah, he's just a huge guy. He's probably bigger than Anthony Davis, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, for yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what their exact, I'm not sure what what their exact weights are, yeah. but I imagine LeBron is much heavier than Anthony Davis, Davis. and. Yeah, because he carries so much more muscle mass. Um, yeah. He's huge. But yeah, like, he's, when he falls, like, it's like, oh my god, you know. Right. So, he like just you said, move very gingerly. Like he's just, <laughs> boy, it's like, what are you doing, LeBron? Like it's a, it's a close game. You're shooting a jack up three, and you knew it's way off. Like, well, yeah, I think I think that goes to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. Everyone's kind of looking gassed. Yeah. To me, um, and, and LeBron's late three kind of, you know, sealed that for me. Yeah. Um, they couldn't work for nothing. They couldn't work Frankie for a good Bur- shot. Yeah. Frankie Burr is trying to call me, so sorry about the interruption there. But, um, yeah, I mean, in this series, LeBron can get to the basket whenever he wants, but instead, towards the end of the game, it was a little bit of settling for um, deep threes or easier shots because maybe the legs weren't there. But yeah. they'll get some rest. Um, he still had, you know, LeBron still had a triple-double. Um, I think he leads now the NBA playoffs in triple doubles and in losses Um, with 10 magic Johnson with 10 magic Johnson had six. So that's interesting. Um, I think because he has to carry, I would think overall in magic's 12 years, you know, I think he played every, you know, game in game out. He played with better players on, on better teams. Sure. Magic has 30 triple doubles. LeBron has 26 total. 
So you're saying 11 of those are losses? Did you, did you how many losses does LeBron have? 10. 10, 10, 10, 10 where he had a triple double. So six so 16 and he's basically 16 and 10 in those games. Yeah. Yep. He has four less than Magic. And not that many players to his credit have even 10. You know, uh yeah, exactly. Jason Kidd has 11 total. Uh Larry Larry Bird, Draymond Green, Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo have 10. Wow. And that's what I've trying to been trying to tell people like hey if they you're, you're Rondo play, if you get yeah, your Rondo Rondo you know? your Rondo prediction I remember a couple of people yeah kind of calling you out with your Rondo was yeah. is a re- really good playoff player yeah. but I mean he's been crucial to the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals so far yeah I mean again you know I think it was our guy uh beat City Hoops was like Rondo I'm like dude go back and look at his stats yeah. He averaged a triple-double in one of those playoff runs. And he's averaging 14 points, uh, close to seven rebounds, nine assists, and like two steals in his in playoff career. Like, not that many guys are putting up those numbers. You know what I mean? No. And then it shows with his 10 triple-doubles, like, he's in the in the category, like, more than Will Chamberlain, more than Oscar Robinson, more... More, he's in the Larry Bird, Jason Kidd realm with those type of numbers. So sure. it's like, if even if they he gets twelve, six and six, that's I mean that the Lakers are going to win the title if he's mm-hmm. decently that good and keeps the, the turnovers low. Yeah, once in a while, Ron will have goopy turnover, you know. Um, and obviously, he's not as good as a player as he is with with, with Boston, not as explosive, but he's still seventy or eighty percent of that. And I think that's really all the Lakers need. As long as Caruso and KCP are knocking down a decent amount of shots, not doing, you know, playing their game, then they're in good position. Um, again, but this all can change in game four, Devin. If Denver wins, now we're back to square one. You know, it, it, and even if Denver loses, are they, I mean, they're the best team to be down 3 1, maybe in NBA history. It's like, yeah, okay, they are. Just, no, yeah. yeah, let's just go. You know what I mean? We'll play, you know? The Lakers right, are yeah. not out of the woodworks at all until it's over. Until they the the buzzer sounds with the fourth win, right? So whenever that correct is. me if I'm wrong, but Denver is the only franchise to uh, erase three one deficits twice in the same playoffs. Yeah, in NBA history. Um, so obviously they're they're used to this. This is kind of right now. This is where they thrive. They're confident. They don't get you know too high. They don't get too low. Um, and if you I look, think the bubble has favored them more than anybody. Now, maybe yeah, that's for just sure. Because of their personality, or they're a small market team, and people are like, "Oh wow, look at how good Denver is." I, I mean, are are the average fans watching Denver that close throughout the season? I would say no. no. You know what I mean? They hear about yeah. Joker, they hear about Murray a little bit, but they're not watching that team. Uh, you know, ten games, fifteen games out of the year on their league pass or whatever. You know, they're not right. on national yeah. TV like that, that I know of, you know? Yeah, they're definitely not. Um, but I think we said it a couple times in our Western Conference preview podcast and after game one, Denver is not a team that you can let just hang around. And they've, they've shown that how many times now? You can't give them an ounce of confidence because a guy like Jamal Murray is going to go off um, MPJ, like you said on Twitter, so he's a black hole. Every time that dude touches it, he's looking at the basket to shoot it. 
and sometimes, a lot of times, it goes in. It works. So, yeah, it I mean, works. Gives him a lot. I, I mean, he's just gonna be like one of those irritating players. It looks like in yeah. his career. The refs yeah. don't like him at all. Like, they yeah. just want to. The refs want to punch him. Yeah, I, like they just they look at him like you irritating jerk. You know, like, he just has something about him that it's good though. He irritates the other team. And he irritates everybody. I think he irritates <laughs> Coach Malone too sometimes. You know, he just, yeah, he just does goofy things like, but it's really good stuff. Like that, like that goaltending where he tipped it in. You know, like he's thinking yeah. on it. You know, he's 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 engaged. He's in the game, but like he'll just do something goofy. You know, like the ball so is short of the rim. He tries to tip it in. You know, like or he's very engaged. Rebound. You know. He's he's very engaged when he want when when he wants to score the basketball. Yeah. He, on on defense, I mean, sometimes I'm just like, what is this dude doing oh, defensively? That play he, where uh, Howard pinned him, he gave no effort. Right. It was an and one late in the game, and he just put his hands up and was like, okay, he's gonna score on me. He's too big. And you're like, dude, just foul him or move your feet. Like, you know, give him a little forearm shiver. Do something. He did nothing. He just, like, gave up the space right. and, and, and Howard just scored like, like yeah. it was against and a it, boy. To his, to, his, to his credit, MPJ's young. He yeah. had a, a back injury that made him miss basically his entire, uh, yeah. you know, year at Missouri, one, one season at Missouri. Yeah. Um, and you so he didn't get that. that affects him, you know? Yeah, who knows? Who knows what, I mean, he looks, he looks spry. He looks like he's moving well, but again, it's like, in high school, Ronnie, how many of these top-level guys like MPJ, who's six ten and and super you know, skilled and you know a perimeter guy, how how often in high school do they actually defend? They kind of learn that when they go to college, whether it's for a year or two or three or four, they learn the intricacies of defense. You know, when they're in college and the first couple of seasons in the NBA, we see a lot of guys from you know even longtime college players struggle when they get to the NBA defensively. So, yeah. Um, MPJ yeah, offensively on him because we don't know also no. what he does pre-game, like you said, to get warm. How how bad? How bad? A back is a serious thing. A back is super. As you're knowing, Devin, if sitting at home <laughs> a lot all day, yeah, all of us are sitting at home a lot. You know, you got to take care of your back for sure. It starts affecting a lot of things. You know, it, it, it having a bad. I've had a bad back before. You know, I when I was younger, I used to have my dad move heavy things, heavy equipment. It's just. It's bad. I, I hurt my back maybe in my late 20s. It's not a, a joke. Like, I didn't play uh, basketball and sports for a good while. I was just scared. Like, I've recovered after six months or whatever, but I was just scared to, like, man, if I moved the wrong way or something, it's really uh, painful. So I imagine for him, you know, it's going to be something he's going to deal with. Hopefully it's okay that he's going to be dealing with it the rest of his career, like prep, warm up his back. Maybe this trainer has to stretch him a certain way. You know, that's a serious thing. So, yeah, let's hope he stays healthy because he's a talented player and um, they can get a lot from him, like you said, offensively. And speaking of that, why don't you talk a little bit about that third quarter? So 63-53, I thought Denver let him off the hook a bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, it should have. They should have had a 14 or 16 point lead. And then the third quarter, I mean, Jeremiah Grant just went off. He had 12 in that quarter. He just looked good. Like, in terms of his movement, his shot was confident. He started getting – they got some steals. And then all of a sudden went to 93-75, just like that. I mean, eh, fast. So, I mean, what happened in that – coming out of the break, what happened there? 
Uh, did the Lakers just take bad shots? Did Denver just have more energy? In your opinion, yeah, more. I think a little bit of both. More energy from Denver is kind of the yeah. the key to this playoffs so far. With you know how they've performed in the in in the first two rounds, um, you know, as, as someone who's watched you know a lot of Laker games in my life, for some reason, the Lakers are a team who always lets some random player whether it's a, a starter who is kind of a role player or a bench guy, like go for career highs. You know yeah. what I mean? Like score in a way that they haven't scored before. Um, and, and last night it was Jeremy Grant, who is a very good um, two-way player in the NBA right now. Um, yeah, big time a little ath- bit like Darius Miles. Sure. You know, yeah, big time, big time athlete, uh, transition guy. Um, Good defender, versatile defender, but if Jeremy Grant is torching you like that in a quarter, you're you're not going to win the basketball game. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And especially when Monty but, Morris is playing pretty good. Monty Morris had over 20 points. He's a good player. I love him. Um, yeah, he's a really yeah, if, good player. If uh, if Jeremy Grant is torching you like that in a single quarter, and you're down 20 heading to the fourth, and then the Lakers, you know, made a brief run there. And ran out of gas, obviously, because yeah, they, they started selling. 99, 96, or within three at some point. Yeah. It was 99, 96 for sure. They were down 97, 77. Right. So what is that, an 18 to 2 run? Yeah, I mean, 19 to yep. 2 run. Uh, so, like you said, they got back in it. Rondo was a big key with his defense. Yep. Um, Caruso made some hustle plays. LeBron made some hustle plays. They, all, they, they fed off Rondo defensively. He, he got Murray a couple times. Uh, Murray lost the ball. He stripped them. He jumped the passing lane. And they were right back in it. Like you said, they were gassed, though. My, you know, my, my key takeaways from uh, the Lakers' perspective in that game, number one, you have to have that same defensive energy that Rondo had in the fourth quarter all game if you want to win a title and you can't be trailer, you can't, you know, be playing that poorly for three quarters and expect a, a comeback, you know, every single game they don't have, in my opinion, they don't have that offensive firepower to erase a 15 to 20 point deficit in one and a half quarters or one quarter. They don't have like, they don't have like that clay Thompson. Oh, I'm going to hit, you know, eight threes, threes in a quarter. No. They don't have Steph Curry who's going to hit six threes in a quarter. They don't have James Harden who can, you know, score 20 straight points. Um, LeBron yeah, could so- be that guy, but you don't want LeBron to be that guy in the series. You want him to be able to to distribute, control the pace of the game, and get everyone involved. And if yeah, Danny Green does good, if Danny Green, KCP, Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma aren't hitting the standstill threes that LeBron's dishing to them that are wide open, it's going to be a longer series than we expected. Yeah, because you can see in that second half, I'll say this, when KCP shoots, Kuzma, Rondo, and Danny Green, they're hoping it goes in. They're not shooting with confidence at all. That's not good. Yeah, you know, I mean, (laughs) Caruso not bad. He When he lets it go, it looks clean, you know, like a good shot. When LeBron, KCP, Danny Green, and 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 Kuzma shoot it, it's like, uh, that's uh, hopefully it goes in. I mean, especially Kuzma has no confidence. He don't want to shoot right now. 
it's you know the thing is his confidence wavers from game to game. I think yeah. it's probably because this is his first time in the playoffs and this is a big stage. Yeah, yeah. and he's you know relatively young as an NBA player, yeah. so it, it might take him some time to find that groove. Yeah, but as we've said throughout this entire playoff run for the Lakers, they need that third guy to score, and it, it's got to be Kyle Kuzma because he's the third most talented scorer on, on this team outside of Davis and LeBron James. Yeah, so what Davis so, Yeah, what Davis gives them what is to change to switch a little bit here. Yeah. What is McGee and and Howard doing here? I mean like you know, they're not rebounding at times. Howard is trying to get in there, get in the Joker's head. I don't think that's working <laughs> very well. He does play good in spurts though. I mean, he does. He plays really good in spurts, but it's like what yeah. are we getting here? What are what are they trying to accomplish here? Or is um, the Joker just that good? <laughs> so, I think there's a little bit of both there. The Joker is so good. I mean, his footwork is unbelievable. His touch. I mean, this, this dude's shooting one-footed fadeaway, like 17-foot jumpers, hitting yeah. you know pick and pop threes, hitting one-footed little floaters off of a short roll. Like this dude can play basketball, right? Yeah. And the first two games, Dwight Howard definitely had an impact, got into his head a little bit, um, you know, got him into some foul trouble. But in game three, the refs weren't having any of Dwight's antics. He got into quick foul trouble, and that hurt the Lakers for sure because Dwight's a guy who, um, you know, size-wise, um, physicality-wise, is probably the best defender uh, for Jokic, right? Yes, because he he can keep up with his footwork on the perimeter, and is strong enough to compete with him on the block, and is an instinctual shot blocker and rim protector. Whereas McGee is more of a, I mean, you know, obviously McGee's one of the best, most fluid seven foot athletes I've seen. You know what I mean? But is he a fundamental type defender? I don't think so. I think he bites on a lot of shot fakes. Um, I think he lets blow-bys happen a little too often with Jokic. Like, if Jokic is 15 feet out and he's shot faking you, McGee's biting and Jokic is going to the basket. That's kind of what I'm getting at. So, I mean, I think Vogel played with the idea of starting Dwight Howard over McGee. Yeah. Um, And he didn't, but I think he started him in the second half. I think I would go with Howard to start the game and really try to not allow Jokic to get into a rhythm. I think... That's another key is you can't let four of the five starters for Denver score in the 15 to 20 point range and then also have Monty Morris score over 20 points. You're not going to, you're not going to be able to outscore Denver that way. No chance. Yeah. No, I, no I chance. With you. Um, no chance at all. Else. Murray had 28 points and 12 assists. If he's, you know, those, a lot of those 12 assists went to either Joker or, or, um, uh, Jeremy Grant. So, if if Murray is is orchestrating their offense that efficiently, he was ten for seventeen from the field. If he's orchestrating their offense that efficiently, you're in for a long night. Yeah, you're right. If you got to slow him down a little bit, put him on his wallet, double team him, give him, make him give up the ball. Um. You know, obviously, it's going to be hard for Rondo and or uh, Caruso to stay in front of him. And sometimes they do a good job. Other times, he's just too talented. You know, as most good 
NBA all NBA type guards are. You you can't you can only contain them so much. But if he's creating that much and shooting that well and with that much confidence, I mean Denver's got to like where they are. You know if they're they can win this game four. You know if obviously if they shoot that well, and you know the Lakers shooting can go cold at any time, as we mentioned they don't really have. Um, they they can create shots and score, but they don't have great shooting at all. They don't have they don't have a knockdown shooter. Shooter. They don't they have don't that have one guy shooter. who. No, they yeah. don't have that one guy with off a driving kick from LeBron or or Caruso or whoever it may be, Rondo. They don't have that guy who's going to stand there in that corner or stand there on the wing, catch and shoot, and you know fifty percent of the time, it's going to go in. They don't have that guy. They don't. They they really they rarely ever have to be honest with you. Like yeah, they haven't. Really uh, had I'm trying that to think back. Shooter. I mean, like Robert Ory. Uh, <laughs> Robert Ory, yeah. I don't Rick, think percentage-wise, he was that great. Rick, Robert Ory. He wasn't percentage-wise wasn't that great, but he hit big shots, big shots. off catches. Yeah. Uh, Rick Fox was was relative. You know, you could count on him. Derek Fisher, you could count on him a little bit. But as far as like a standstill shooter goes, like a Kyle Korver Ray or Allen. a Clay Thompson, Ray later, Allen in his later years, yeah. Ray Allen. They've, They've never really had that guy. Um, now that I bring up Robert Ory, you know, after AD's uh, game winner the other night, a lot of people were like, "Is this the greatest game winner in Lakers history?" No, no. not even no close. Way. Not even close. Yeah, like Magic Johnson baby hook across the uh, the key against the Celtics was huge. Uh, the best was play, huge. Is the best play is the best play uh, game winner in their in their franchise history. Really agree. And then Robert Ory. Because of what it meant. Right. Ro- yeah, exactly. Robert Ory uh, against Sacramento with the tip out. And Derek Fisher, point four, because that would have been an elimination in the Western Conference Finals. And they wouldn't have had another title. So, yeah, if they don't win that, if Ory doesn't get that tip out from Vlade, they lose that series. Right. And if Fisher doesn't hit point four, they lose that series. So, yeah. Um, it, it was, you know, game, it was a great shot. It was game two. Uh, you know, Mason Plumley and, and Grant, you know, miscommunicated on whatever they missed. That was crazy. There, LeBron wasn't even setting a screen, and, and Plumley was trying to switch it. But Plumley ran in like it's like Plumley. You ran lower. If you would have just stayed at home and ran straight across, you'd have been pretty much right to the guy. Well, I just you had just, a funny thing like Plumley just looked cold, and he just looked yeah. like, okay, coach, what do I do here? He got the assignment, but like I just had this funny feeling. I kept thinking, like if Plumlee would have stayed at home and stayed with this guy, like he would have just crashed right into Davis and fouled him. Like that's just the joke I have. have now. He may have not have, but like yeah, because yeah. he was out of sorts a little bit. Like okay, coach, I'll get in there. What do you want me to do? Like, he just wasn't. <laughs> I don't think he knew he was going in. Like right, and then like, oh shit, you know, I got to take my warm up off and get in there. You know what I mean? He. He replaced, you know, defensive stalwart Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not sure the outcome would have been any different whether it was Plumlee or Porter in the game during that time. But yeah, here's the thing: if the Lakers end up winning the series and end up winning the title, is that shot very big? Yes. But to compare that to uh, the the three shots that I mentioned, yeah, not even not even in the same ballpark, not even in the same stratosphere right now. No, so because you don't know what could happen, it could mean nothing. The Lakers could lose. Right, if they lose this series, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, the thing is, you know, with Magic shot too. Um, at that point, Larry Bird had won three straight MVPs, and the Lakers, with Magic, had three titles, and the Celtics had three titles. You know, so that was their third rubber match. 
in 84, the Lakers uh, lost to the Celtics. In 85, the Lakers beat the Celtics. Then the Lakers in 86, uh, Ralph Sampson, you know, they didn't play very good against the Rockets in that Western final. And then in 87, they met again. And it was like each guy had three titles to that point. And after that baby hook, as you as you called it, you know, the running baby hook in the lane from about 13 feet, Bird never won a title again. And they didn't have Len right. Bias. So that was huge. Right. That like that was their last chance to really win the title, meaning Boston. Yeah, they and set the they set the won. franchise back. Yeah. Right. They set the, they set the franchise two, back bro. until yeah. when, when I forget which year Boston, you know, ended up, you know, uh, uh breaking so that two thousand eight. Yeah, breaking that streak. Yeah. So that that years. shot, that baby hook from Magic basically I mean um, set that franchise back twenty years worth of uh, championship championship opportunities. Yeah, that was their the, in, the, in the poster in the po- in the post game presser, uh, Bird was just like unbelievable. Like that guy's unbelievable. Like, and it kind of set the stage. Like, okay, this guy is probably the best player in the league right now. You know, for two or three, and then Magic won the MVP two out of the next three years. And then Jordan kind of took that mantle over, but yeah, that was huge. That was huge in so, NBA history. So, like, come on, we're now. Talking, this is just a, yeah. a freaking defensive misplay by Mason, <laughs> by Mason Plumley. Like, give me a. That's break. what I'm gonna say. So let's like literally let's just like take the the very basics and compare the two. We're talking about the height of the Lakers Celtics rivalry in the '80s. We're talking two of the best players to ever live: Happy Magic title. Johnson, Larry Bird. Three titles apiece, um, and then you know, kind of a an iconic type of shot with the baby hook, right in the and finals in Boston, defending, and everybody in Boston Garden is in the Hall of Fame <laughs> in Boston Garden. Yeah, everyone's in the Hall of Fame. He's he drew like three defenders who are all, all Hall of Famers, Hall of Fame. <laughs> and we're 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 comparing that to a Western Conference Finals where Mason Plumley miscommunicates with Jeremy Grant. <laughs> And leaves Anthony Davis open for a three, a wide open three. Come on, yeah. I just when you weigh those against each other, I'm not trying to take away from Anthony Davis' shot, but people started comparing this. I don't even think AD's shot is is bigger Could than be the best shot of this series. You you might be right, Could, but I don't think it's be the best shot of this series. Remember when Derek Fisher hit that three against the Magic? I think oh, it was yeah. like was it game three or game four? I don't know, but yeah, they swept the Magic that series. Even even that shot's bigger than this because it was in the tie, it was in the in the cha- NBA championship. So uh, don't want to yeah, take away anything away too from much more time on that. But but it like when it. I saw that when I saw that on the on the morning you know talking head shows that that made me laugh because yeah. it's not even close. It's Magic Johnson's baby hook. Before we move on to Miami and Boston, Ronnie, what needs to happen for the Lakers to close this series out? And what needs to happen for Denver to, you know, make another crazy historic comeback and advance to the NBA Finals? Yeah. Um, I think Denver has to just say, hey, what we're doing is is working. You know, it looks like they're mentally over Davis's shot. You know, if they, they, have, to, they have to be prepared for uh, game situations, meaning late game situations, subbing. Everybody has to be ready um, because Malone goes with just random guys at times. You know, he went with um, he went with our guy from South Carolina for extended minutes, and some people were calling that out, P.J. Dozier, and it doesn't yep. look like Dozier even played in game three. 
if I'm recalling, maybe a few minutes. He definitely wasn't on the floor when it mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody's got to be ready and know and know you know like okay, this is what we're trying to do to win. I think the Lakers are a little bit more tuned into that. Maybe the the rotations are a little more hard set. You know, so if if they're if they continue to get if everybody continues to be ready and they get some play from PJ Dozier or Grant or Morris like that, they have a good chance to win. So I don't think they have to change much because Murray's going to – I don't think Murray's going to go uh, and have terrible games. I think he's going to cook whoever's trying to guard him. Dude, yeah. Caruso or, or Rondo, even Rondo at times he's cooking him, getting by him. Um, you know, they – and then the Joker's going to get 20, 10, and 5 at minimum. You know, they got to get him the – even if they're going on a run dead uh, with the outside shooting – I think they still got to let him touch the ball. They, they kind of got away with that in this late game three. He didn't touch the ball much at all. I think yeah, he in the, in the third it, even if he's not shooting it. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yep. He should just touch it. Good things happen. I think they still got to go to uh, exploit uh, Davis on defense and, and, and or Dwight Howard if he's goofing around. You know? Um, yeah. They, you know, he's whatever he's doing at times, you know, trying to get Joker in, in foul, foul trouble or get him into a little scrap right. or something. Doesn't look like right. the Joker's yeah, gonna the, fall for it, you know. The Dwight, the Dwight Howard antics uh, backfired last night. They were great in in the first two games, and I think he kind of, I don't know, maybe maybe made it difficult for for Jokic to uh, you know get position or get good looks. But you know, Jokic tore him apart in that in in game three. So I think for me, yeah, Denver just, I mean, they just got to keep playing with that chip on their shoulder that they're the the lower seed and the underdog, and that's what they've been doing the entire playoffs. And the Lakers, I mean, they just need to start the game with better energy on defense and get out and transition like they did in the first two games, get some easy buckets, and you know, jumpstart that offense. Yeah. Uh, the and, and they'll, they'll be fine. Get the ball in Rondo's hands is, you know, in terms of making a, a, a good play. Like, let, Le, let LeBron get the ball in a position to score. LeBron has to if LeBron has too many possessions where he's trying to create or or shoot the the uh, bailout three, that's not going to be a good sign for them. Yeah, you know yep. he's got to he's he's got to keep moving. Like you said, um, if LeBron's moving, if LeBron's moving well and the ball's moving well, they just get better shots and easy. Yeah, it's easy. It's an easy game. Yeah, if it's just that's just an easy basketball. You don't have to be LeBron James. That goes for a high school JV team. So right. ball movement. Player movement, high percentage shots. Let's move on to the, the Eastern Conference Finals real quick. Ronnie and touch on Miami and Boston. Miami won Game Two. We, we our last pod was after Game One, so Miami won Game Two. Celtics won Game Three. It's a two-one Heat lead heading into Game Number Four, which is Wednesday night, the day that we're recording this podcast. Um, I picked Miami to win the series prior. You said the winner of Game Two would win the series. Miami was that team. Are we sticking with those picks? I'll start with you. Yeah, so is that – yeah, I, I think I'm sticking with Miami now. Uh, you know, I didn't think – I didn't have a – I was like a pick em series, but ooh, Miami's playing really well. And they they are – they are, to me, should be doing what the Lakers should be doing. They are doing what – the Lakers should be there in terms of rallying around either James or Davis, but it seems like they don't. Whereas, what it, with Butler such a catalyst, 
I don't know if it's just his energy or his uh, mental makeup. Like, at times, mentally, Davis and, and LeBron disappear. Like, that guy never disappears. Like, they know that they know their role. And it, maybe it's just the matchups. Maybe they're just that playing that well together. At times, like you said, the Lakers are frustrating. The, the Miami's not frustrating. They're, uh, they're engaged. They just have a nice piece of, of, of uh, pieces that work together. And and Bam Adebayo just gives take gives them just takes them to the next level in terms of what they feel they can accomplish. Like that that team never feels like they can be uh, uh, mentally uh, outdone or like sure. that they're gonna lose the battle of of either attrition or like the battle of the boards or like the battle of toughness. They and that 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 goes far in basketball. If you think you're tougher and like you're mentally better, like. You have a chance, you know. I think yeah. honestly, the Celtics are the better team now that I'm watching sure. a little bit more. They just are, especially like you said, the game is offensive oriented right now. The rules and the way the game plays favors the offensive player totally. Now, obviously, basketball does always favor the offensive player if you if you move the ball, but especially the way the game is played now. So, you know, what is missing from? I would ask you a question: that what is missing from Boston? What are they doing? right or wrong because it seemed like at times we mentioned early in the season and during the early in the bubble like man Jalen Brown and, and Tatum they play so well even though they're kind of the same players now we're seeing like uh, moments where they're they're playing good together and then they one disappears or they don't have the right combination out there what 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 is Boston doing right or wrong there um I think they miss that extra floor spreader with uh, Gordon Hayward being out the last few rounds um, because you can kind of key in on Marcus Smart. Yeah. You can kind of key, key in on uh, Jalen Brown or, or Jason Tatum or Kemba Walker. And I think another issue the Celtics have is Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum are both very one-on-one oriented. And in the first two yes. games, there was a lot of ball stopping and a lot of, ISO stuff, and those guys are both extremely good isolation players, but against a team as good defensively and well-rounded defensively as Miami is, I don't think ISO ball is going to help you win this series. Ball movement, player movement, high percentage shots is kind of what the key has been to the playoffs so far. And I think another thing is having Marcus Smart as a starter hurts the bench big time for Boston. Yeah. You don't have that guy coming off the bench who you can trust to give, you know, Brown, Tatum, and Walker some rest, but also not have a, a lapse defensively or offensively. Um, and then the third thing I would say, he gives them a lot on both sides of the ball. The third thing I would say, which ties into all this, is if Marcus Smart is hitting, you know, threes at a high percentage, uh, Boston's really tough to beat. And in that last game, you know, I don't think he was hitting threes at that, that level that sure he has in the, in, in the past two. So yeah. And if um, I'm Miami and I'm saying if Marcus smart shooting 50% or 45% from three, then you know what? Kudos to them. They hats off. They're going to win the series. Meaning, you know, if, if Marcus Martin is shooting that well, Boston has a good chance to win the series. So if I'm 
like you said, if I'm Miami, I want to say, okay, let him beat us offensively, not not a Brown or and or Tatum. You know, uh, right? If Marcus Smart is sh- scoring twenty points or eighteen points and shooting a high percentage from the field. That team's going to be tough to beat, you know. So I, I think to your point, Miami can live with that a bit. Even maybe to they're going to have Kemba yeah. Walker. Even maybe to an extent, Kemba Walker. If Kemba Walker has twenty points, five assists, you know, six assists, whatever, and, and three rebounds, man, kudos to them. Kudos to him. Now you see Murray. I mean, Walker's a hell of a player. I like Kemba Walker. It just when you watch him, you realize how good Murray is. Holy crap, Murray is as you called it. That was a good call by you. Like that guy is turning into a superstar. Like because because Kemba Walker is good. He's not nearly as good as Jamal Murray. Well, and the thing about Chris about Murray have for to be. me, he doesn't have to be. You know what I mean? Right. When when Murray was at Orangeville and on the on the circuit, I couldn't stand watching him play, yeah. just because every shot he took seemed like it was. It was like out of the offense or whatever, but yeah, me, me I mean, dude, or whatever. Yeah, his game translated to the NBA really well, and I think, um, you know, being playing with Jokic has helped him see the entire game because yeah. that's how Jokic plays, and, and I think it's, it's you know elevated his yeah, game to that level. Contagious. Yeah, it's contagious. Jokic is such a good, um, such a good like unselfish player. That you have no choice but to play like that yourself, unless unless you're MPJ and you're just out thinking <laughs> on your own. He's in his own role at times. Like he is, he really you know? is. What's it's I I kind of dude. I could talk about that guy. Dude. It's funny. Like he's just one of those aggravating players. But like you don't expect a guy to be an aggravator that's that talented. You know, you just right. don't expect it. You expect it to be well, like Rick Mahorn or something. You know, like, and he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't like take hard fouls. He doesn't. Yeah. Talk. He doesn't talk shit very much. No. Um, he's not super demonstrative, but like just something about him. Yeah. Every time he touches it, I mean, it's going up, and I'm just like, I, his teammates have to be so pissed. But yeah. the shots go in. Yeah. Now, do you see any of that? Now, Boston has you know good coach, good chemistry for the most yeah. part. I, I people were kind of mentioning that like ah, uh, they had a blow up. Now maybe they were just they were down two zero. They had a locker room blow up. I'm sure Marcus Smart and a few other guys are in there. You know, I could see Marcus Smart doing that. He's a pretty good leader. Mm-hmm. Um, was that overplayed? You know, do you see any body language issues with whether it's Tatum? You know, uh, maybe Brown's not getting enough shots this half. Is it? Is that because of youth? Is that because the makeup? You know, what do you see there? Obviously, you're just, we're just kind of on a peripheral. What What do you see there? Yeah. Uh, issue or no issue? No issue. That's a good thing. Yeah. That's a good thing. You're down 2-0 to a team that you should probably at least be 1-1 with, you know, a team that you're you're more talented than. Uh, obviously, you know, frustration is going to get the best of everybody at times. And if they just go into the locker room and act all buddy-buddy and get on Instagram and, you know, slide into yeah. chicks DMs, like, that's an issue. Yeah. But if you're you're, you know, pissed off that you're losing that's that's never an issue and if it happens to you know you throw a trash can um yeah, that's fine board or something I, or yeah i remember i remember in high school 
I'm not sure if my buddy James Borey listens to the show, but um, we were down at halftime against like a really bad team. And we go into the, we go into the little halftime locker room, right? And James, my buddy James is messing around, like, like, you know, messing around, uh, joking around with a couple other guys in the team. I got so pissed because we were down by like 20. I threw a trash can at him <laughs> in the middle of the thing. <laughs> and they shut up. He had like, yeah. he, he had like, like, uh, Gatorade, you know, dripping from his arm and his like thing is, his, his jersey was, was stained with like a, a fucking hot dog or something. Dude, I threw the trash can at him and this dude was a badass dude, right? And uh, I thought he we was going to mess me up big yet. time. I was pissed, dude. And I had a yeah. temper back then, but, um, yeah, I mean, um, we ended up losing that game cause we were terrible, but, uh, you know, I think that, I think it's good to have, you know, that level of frustration to where you want to win and you're not winning. So you want to kind of do something about it and maybe spark some, some interest. And I think the Gordon Hayward return, um, in obviously the Celtics won game three, he played 31 minutes, Ronnie, two for seven from the field, but he had, you know, five rebounds, four assists and three steals. Really nice little stat line there. He played 31 minutes in a return. Were you surprised that he got that many bench minutes or not so much because the Celtics bench needs a lot of help? Um, I'm a bit surprised because okay. the reason I say that is if you have the game prior, where are those 31 minutes coming from? From whom? They're from, coming from somebody. So how does that affect that guy? I mean, we'd have to okay. really study. You get what I'm saying? Is that guy yeah? I can look into it right now. That's a good question. A little bit because mm-hmm. that 31 minutes is coming either from Smart, you know, maybe a little bit from the from the forwards that they go smaller. You know, it's very interesting who played a little bit of less minutes. So I mean, if you look at the the previous in, in game two, Brad Wanamaker had uh, played 24 minutes in that game, so uh, took away minutes from him. Um, and then you look at game number one, both these, obviously Miami wins, Let's pull up the box score here. Um, Brad Wanamaker, 25 minutes. So that's basically so, where it's coming from. Most yeah. And, and again, Wanamaker. Correct. And Wanamaker in game one had 11 points, but they lost. And in game number two, um, I believe he hit two threes and had six points. So I guess for me, it, it makes sense, I guess, to kind of throw him back in the fire and get him you know, back into game yeah, speed as soon no, as possible. No, no time to wait. Like you have Correct. no time to waste. If you're down three Oh, you're done. That, that was when, yeah, that, that game was winner go home. So it, it didn't really surprise me that, that Gordon Hayward played that many minutes and it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up back in that starting lineup. If I'm not sure what's going to happen tonight with that starting lineup, um, excuse me, Wednesday night. Um, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if they do lose game number uh, four tonight that he's back in the starting lineup for game five. Yeah. That now that makes sense. You know, um, it, it, you know, if I'm going to, you're right. Your season's on the line. I'm, I'm, I'm rolling with the player who's gotten those minutes for most of the season. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, Wanamaker loses time to, to Gordon Hayward. That's just the way it is. So, you know, cause you want to be everybody engaged. We're talking about, got to be ready. Uh, Denver is the team that has to be ready in the late game situations. The Lakers, like you said, can't come out days going to think the NBA is just going to hand them the NBA trophy, which their fans sometimes think, unfortunately, like oh, the Lakers are just going to win this because 
because of Kobe or because of anything else. Like, no, they got to play good. You know, like, you're not going to win for all these exterior reasons that, that their fans think sometimes. Boston's still in a good position. I think Boston, Boston, I guess Boston and, and Denver are in the same position game-wise. But uh, Denver, like, you know, they're really, they don't have much to lose. I mean, they're loose. They're playing pretty good. I think Boston has a little more pressure on them, you said, because of the injuries, because getting the guys in the right rotation, they're expected to win. They've been in the East Finals, you know, three times in the last five or six years. And this is like they're built, you know, they they think they're going to win. So mm-hmm. a lot of pressure there. Uh, I think either team will be, you know, an underdog against the Lakers. Uh, Denver against either of those teams. Wow, that would be interesting basketball. That would be really good basketball. I think the fans would be a yeah. little thrown off. Like, wow, yeah, the Denver's ratings. Miami or Denver. The ratings. Boston's. The ratings wouldn't be great, obviously. No. Um, especially, with NFL, especially with the NFL back. Especially with the NFL back. But it would be yeah. it would be fun basketball to watch. You're right. Yeah, it would be really good basketball. I like you know Jamal Murray versus Kemba Walker, or you know can uh, can our guy uh, down in Miami slow down uh, Jamal Murray? You know, he's been able to slow down almost every guy he's gone up against this whole playoffs. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Butler. Be, Jimmy Butler, our guy Butler, can he, you know, he's just been on the talk of the playoffs in many respects. Like, just so, value. Yeah, I want to pose, before before we, we move on from the NBA, I want to pose this question to you. Yeah. Right now, if you had to pick an MVP of the bubble, who would you pick? MVP of the bubble. Well, as I'm looking at, at first thought would be, um, you know, Jimmy Butler. Like, oh, but then I'm looking at Bam Adebayo. Like, dude, this team is good. Like, maybe they're a lot better than I was. Uh, we gave him, or I gave him credit for not you because you gave him a lot of credit. I don't know if the media gave him a lot of credit. Then I'm looking at the four teams still alive. It wouldn't be anybody from the Celtics, I don't think, because they're they're just a good team. Um. You know, it's easy to always point about LeBron James' all-around brilliance. But when I come to think of it, it, it would, I think it's the Joker. He, just because what he brings to that team gives them a, a good chance, a fighting chance always. Um, if Miami's down 3-1 in a series, then where's the value of Butler? Is it, is, does he have the value of Joker? And or Murray, I, I would say quite not. So I, I think Joker one, Butler two, Murray three. Okay. And Joker, just because of what he brings to that team, he makes them loose, meaning he's a kind of a goofy guy, he's, you know, like unassuming. He, he makes them confident. He gets the, you know, if you cut or you move, you're going to get the ball. Unlike sometimes Boston or, you know, even the Lakers, they go through bouts where Braun takes stupid shots or Anthony Davis is holding the ball on the wing and everybody's stagnant. Yeah, You don't really see that with um, with Denver. So I, I, okay. I like the Joker. I respect that pick. I think yeah. the easy way out is to, you know, take AD or LeBron um, because they're the two, you know, best players remaining in, yeah. in, in the playoffs. But I'm going to go Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Because... Yeah, he's not my number two guy. Yeah, I, I think... I think he's gotten such a bad rap over the course of his career, right? 
whether it was with Minnesota or Chicago or or Philadelphia, where guys you know didn't like playing with him because he was mean or whatever. Um, and, then, and then he goes down to Miami and gets this group together of young guys. I mean, him and Jay Crowder are the two veterans on that team, but you have Duncan Robinson, who's a younger guy, uh, you know, played D3 basketball before going to Michigan and, and making a name for himself and carving out a role in the NBA. Tyler Hero's a young guy. Uh, Kendrick Nunn's a young guy. And obviously, uh, Goran Dragic is the starting point guard now. Um, and he's an older veteran, and he's he's really good. I love watching him play. I used to hate watching him play when uh, back in the day when he used to carve up the Lakers. But man, he's he's really good. Um, but just kind of the way he's led and rallied that team, and um, kind of helped Eric Spolstra and Pat Riley um, take their you know toughness and um, defensive mindset and execution from the sideline or the front office to the floor. He was kind of that missing piece, uh, kind of that Dwayne Wade style player. They come from the same, you know, they both went to Marquette, interestingly enough, but yeah. the same kind of mindset and steadiness and quiet leadership that has helped take Miami to the Eastern Conference finals when not a whole lot of people were, were expecting it. So yeah. I'm going Jimmy Butler um, and uh, LeBron James, number two, just because, I mean, if, yeah, if LeBron James, well. he's the MVP every season because any team he's on, if he's not on the team, is much worse. So, um, but for the for the case of the bubble MVP only right now, I'm going Jimmy Butler. Yeah, uh, and let's he has move. a chance to show yeah. it. I mean, they're they're down, they're up, they're up two one. So, you know, will he put will they put Boston away or will they let you know Boston tie it up? And can they play from behind if Boston wins two? And they're up three two. Now can Miami do what they did before? You know, yeah, now that we know Denver can. <laughs> if Denver's yeah. down three two to the Lakers, yeah. it's like they're, 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 that's their that's their favorite position to be in. Yeah, they're like, okay, we'll just play. So that that'll right. be interesting to see. Um, just interesting to see how Pat Riley's created this team. Uh, it kind of makes as we transition into some other things. Uh, you know, we talk about. Obviously, Cleveland with John Lucas basically tanking for LeBron. Other teams have tanked. Um, this Miami team never really tanked. I mean, when they rebuilt no. after uh, Dwayne Wade and, and LeBron and Ray Allen moved on, you know, I don't know if that's just Pat Riley's MO. You know, he's he's not really been ever associated with losing. Um. You know, they've kind of built, like you said, some no-name. They're kind of like a no-name defense, like the Miami Dolphins that won the S Super Bowl. Like, these guys are just no-name defenders, you know, like no-name sure. guys, as you mentioned. I mean, you mentioned those guys. I barely even know those guys are on the team. Some of those guys <laughs> that you mentioned, like, dude, they're just good, you know? Um, yeah. They got yeah. Bama with a bio out a nice pick. Others, like, what do you take there, like, of tanking and trying to get the number one pick or the number two pick? Compared to just try to build, be competitive, stay competitive, get the right moves. And then, you know, uh, what's your take on that? And then what's your take on teams that are like having a lot of picks in the future? And then with the high school to pro route coming back, they're kind of like getting gearing up for that. And like we're going to try to make sure we have our intel on these young guys 
compared to like let's just build the team with no matter what kind of picks we get. You know, what's your take? What's your take? So Miami's doing in that. So with the tanking, like if you're confident enough in a guy, yeah. and he's good enough, like LeBron James, yeah. Um, by all means, you know, tank and try and get that number one pick. But as we know with the NBA draft lottery, the number one pick is not always guaranteed for the worst team um, in the NBA. So sure. if if I was in an NBA front office, uh, I would try to do everything possible to just rebuild naturally. Yeah. Um, especially if you're a franchise like the Heat, which, you know, um, back in the early 90s with, you know, guys like Ronnie Cycli. Love Ronnie Cycli, man. Yeah. Glenn um, Rice. Glenn Rice. They, they were they were good. Alonzo Mourning. They were a good Eastern Ball Conference team. team, right? But they weren't known for multiple championship runs. So then you get a guy like LeBron and D-Wade, Chris Bosh and Ray Allen to join forces and you win titles. Um, and then those guys leave. Chris Bosh obviously had a medical issue that, that forced him to retire, unfortunately. So, of course, they're going to rebuild through, um, you know, the draft, not but not in a way of tanking. So that's, that's kind of how I look at franchises. Uh, I'm not much of a, not much of a tank for player kind of guy. I don't like that. Um, you got to make yeah. You got to make smart basketball decisions and free agent signings. You got to know the game. You got to know, you know where the game is going. You've got to have people in your front office who are experienced, have connections. You know, know a little bit about these guys, especially because of how the draft um, is kind of turning towards in two twenty one and two twenty two. The pandemic hit. Um, we didn't get a lot of evaluation time of top prospects this spring and summer. So who knows what college basketball looks like. We'll talk about that in a, in a little bit for the 220-221 season. Um, so you need people in your front office who have connections and are able to do some vetting. And we've seen that with a couple front office hires recently of, of scouts that you and I both know, Ronnie. Sure. And any NBA, pro, any NBA franchise that's looking for somebody who can get you intel, Hit me up. I'm your boy. L- let me know if you need you need anything. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm more of a I'm more of a you know try and sign you know solid free agents whether it's a Jay Crowder or Goran Dragic you know guys like that who have veteran experience rather than trying to build this super you know young roster of draft picks that you know you look at like like Cleveland right now. You know, you take two guards, Darius Garland and Colin Sexton, who are both kind of ball dominant guards, and they don't really play well together. Um, you've got to you've got to be able to have that mix of young and veteran leadership. So, like like the the Heat have right now with Jimmy Butler, Jay Crowder, and then you have Bam, Hero, and Duncan Robinson. You know, yeah, it's just a nice mix. It's working for yeah. Pat Riley down there. I agree with you. Uh, we're gonna see more you know, uh, interest or focus on the young players because, like you said, we're not watching them that much. Very interesting that um, McDonald's or the folks associated with the McDonald's All-American game are going to have a camp uh, in October down in, in, in Texas. Their goal is to try to get 100 of the top 221s and 50 of the top 222s. Um, down to the uh to an event to kind of evaluate because people have 
like you said, not really been evaluating the top talent in the same location or same locale um, for a, a long time. You know, like it's been six, seven months. Um, this event is supposed to be taking place in Manfield, Texas, and it's the week of October 23rd, 24th, or 24th, 25th, I'm sorry, at the Fieldhouse USA. And, and we'll see how that turns out, Devin, who goes, who doesn't go. Um, again, so we see, we've seen USA Basketball is having some kind of like online webinar for like recruits to training at various levels, two different levels. Not sure how that's going to go, but they're doing it in October as well. Uh, you know, our guy Dino Stragonis is running his Pango series. He's been doing some fall leagues, various places, even Alaska. Those have been solid. Again, those are not <laughs> McDonald's All-American players, but it's still players that are getting their name out there. You know, uh, we've had a couple guys get their names out there on a positive note. Um, you know, Colin Chandler being probably the guy that sticks out a lot, you know, 222 from, from Utah. But there's other guys. So, you know, that's going to be, like you said, it's going to change things because McDonald's plans on having a game tentatively in late March back to its um, normal or regularly scheduled time frame. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the country is going to be done. But California is just going to be gearing up. So this this season is going to be very interesting. Uh, California... Again, guys are kind of, as we, we've talked about before in other pods, Devin, guys are kind of weighing their options. We've talked about the prep school route, and then we're seeing um, last year's D4 State Player of the Year and freshman of the year, Mikey Williams, left San Ysidro, and now he's going to be playing at a, a, an academy-type prep school in North, North Carolina. So presumably he's going to play in November and December, January for his school. And he can still move on or... You know, he can he can stay there. So we're seeing a lot of uh, of movement and adjustments based on the pandemic. I guess there's no other. The pandemic is the reason why some of this is happening. Not saying that Mikey Williams moved because of it, but be, but everything is related. So sure. what's your kind of take there? And you know, season's going to be awfully weird. You know, California's going to be starting up, and guys are going to be playing the McDonald's game if as long as they have the pandemic under control. And it, like you said, from the NBA on down, it's just hard to get an evaluation right now that you normally would get. Yeah. There's a lot less court time, you know, over the last six months as we, as we know very well, because um, we've both been, you know, relatively home, you know, homebound yes. as far as, you know, sitting inside and, you know, watching games on live stream, you've been to a couple events, but yeah, I, I think, you have to adjust. Like, do I think a McDonald's All-American camp is is going to change voters' opinions on players? Maybe. Uh, maybe it puts someone on the radar. Maybe that that's what would be the thing. Maybe one or two guys come on the radar. Right, which is I good. I think it changes nah, the overall nah, scope. Yeah. You look at, you look at the, the, the history of McDonald's All-American voting. Um, it's the, it's the same type of guy. It's everyone's considering five stars in the rankings and things like that. And then you have guys, you know, slip through the cracks. Um, yeah. Russell Westbrook, uh, was Kawhi Leonard McDonald's all American? No, no. Kawhi Leonard was not. Uh, Paul George was not correct. 
No, not even close. Not even close. So who are some of the other top NBA guys right now who were not McDonald's American? Jimmy Butler? No, not even nope. close. Not even close, Jimmy right. College player. Right. Yeah. So, I mean. At, it, there's a lot of pass is what your point is. There's a lot of past of, of you know, hits and misses. So, again, like what exactly is that going to do for, you know, an under-the-radar player? Hopefully it puts him on the map. But, I mean, a lot of the – we've discussed this before with McDonald's All-American voting, Ronnie, is a lot of the, the voters are outdated. They don't even watch games. Yeah, that. They don't, they, they're going to base it on the junior on and whatever they see that summer or early that right. summer, and then that's kind of – the mantra of the of the, of the game. Um, very rarely does a senior guy who just really had a monster senior year uh, basically, quote-unquote, knock one of the other guys, that's 20 guys out, and makes the team. Just doesn't happen right, those, often. Yeah, those, those rosters, at least, you know, 25 of the players in consideration are usually set before the senior season even starts. From what what I imagine, there's a couple of the guys that fall or, or move up, right? So at the most two. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully this that that can't be mentioned in Texas in October is is kind of a way to um, buck that trend, and you know change how how the voting process is done or the evaluation process for the McDonald's game is done, and you get a little bit more recognition for a guy who comes on late. Um, well, who knows? Who knows how that goes, man? It's it's, uh, it's an interesting process. I don't envy the people who have to make those selections. I'm sure our guy Frank puts up a fight in some of those, some of those uh, if, if they have meetings or whatever it may be for for guys who are under the radar. But uh, let's move on to college basketball. Um, we've got a, a a cemented date of when they expect college basketball season to start, which is November 25th. Is is that Thanksgiving? I don't even know. Is that that's Thanksgiving, right? Uh, it might be a day or two later, right? I don't know. I don't even know. It's close to Thanksgiving. That's all that matters. Um, and a lot of the uh, tournaments are kind of moving into states that are, I guess, more accepted, more accept, more interested in hosting them. So, like the Maui Invitational is not going to be in Maui. It's going to be in South Carolina. Things of that nature. Some tournaments are going to Florida. I think the Wooden Legacy might be going to Florida if I'm if I'm not mistaken, which is usually held in Orange County, California, um, at Cal State Fullerton and the Honda Center. That's moving. So, I mean, college football is is kind of back, Ronnie. Uh, we're seeing a lot of games being postponed, but we're also seeing a lot of games being played. Um, what do you think? What do you think this college basketball season is going to look like? Do you? It, there's no chance it's going to be a normal season. No chance. No, no chance there's going to be a normal season. We, we, again, we talked about the NCAA tournament. It has to, has to have viability in some fashion. Um, should be less games, just like I think the CIF should have left it less games from March to, to May and then in June in the playoffs. There's no other state going, so it makes no sense to play 26 times. It just right. doesn't. Um, same thing with Texas. You know, they don't have showcases and and um, tournaments. A lot of states don't have tournaments around the country this year. And and, and college basketball is going to be the same. Now, they might have the uh, 
there's an invitation. I think that got moved to South Dakota. There's going to be less tournaments, just like high school. A few less conference, uh, non-conference games. Um, if we have a breakout in that area, maybe the games get postponed. But it's a lot different than football, because, like you said, we have a college football season, but there's less games, and they have a few open weeks. Like I know Notre Dame had a game postponed. Mm-hmm. But they have a few open weeks later in November or early December to in October. To, they can slot it in there. Right. I'm not sure college basketball has that many because they're playing two or three times a week. You can't keep just keep delaying, delaying, delaying. Eventually, the game has to be canceled or not, you know, not played or what, what not. So, um, yeah, it's gonna be a interesting season, just like high school. I think it'll go off. Uh, will it have stoppages or will we, you know, have something, you know, that prevents it from being as normal as possible? I think maybe, you know, we got the election coming up. We got cold weather as it relates to the pandemic. You know, uh, I don't see them mean there's going to be fan limitations. I know uh, I was talking to a high school basketball coach in Oklahoma. They have a pretty good team, Putnam City North. I was just talking to him about the Fab 50 and just teams, and we are talking yesterday, earlier this week, whatnot, and, and uh, he was mentioning they only have 25% fan capacity at football games, and it's going to be the same thing for basketball. So I imagine that college basketball will be the same way in, in many respects. You know, fan capacities, whether you have a 15,000-seat stadium or 12,000, it'll probably be 25% of that. Sure. You know, um, you know, what does that mean? I think the players got to make the most of it, just like the high school players do, and like the NBA has done, where they found a niche. Obviously, nobody's going to spend a billion dollars, but they're going to be spending some money to make sure protocols are in place. Uh, we just have to hope it's a little bit of somewhat normal, but it's not going to be. You know, how are they going to do the virtual fans, and are they going to have noisemakers like the NBA does, or is it just going to be quiet gyms? I wouldn't mind if it's quiet gyms and just Same. basketball. Yeah, I wouldn't mind watching a low-level D1 or D2 games with no fans just yeah. to see the basketball. Yeah. That, that's pretty interesting to me. I mean, they I think it's make some positive out of this. I think that's, honestly, I, I think if that happens, I think that's helpful for future the college. Fans? No, not even fans. Future college, like high school kids who watch it. Yeah. They can actually watch and, and see what those levels look like yeah. rather than, you know, just seeing primetime games of – Duke, Duke versus North Carolina or Kentucky versus LSU or whatever it may be. Yeah, and you all you're hearing is Dickie V screaming and fans going crazy. Yeah, just yeah, watch right, basketball. Exactly. Yeah, watch basketball. See what the level these different levels actually look like, and you know have these type of games where a high major plays a low major in in a, a neutral setting, and you might see there's there's little difference in talent level from a mid-major to a low-major, a low-major to a high-major in certain cases. Oh, yeah, that would be very interesting. It could be why I think it's going to create a wide-open situation. Yeah. Where a team could, you know, uh, presumably we have the NCAA tournament, whether it's a little later they're go- or in Ronnie, They're going to have the NCAA tournament. They, they lost too much money last year by not having it. It is happening yeah. one way or another. Yeah, so what's the format is what I'm getting at. Is So it might yeah. be a situation where we have – um, Gonzaga versus, like you said, LSU for the championship. It's, it could sure. be that 
whatever team plays well, like a Denver or Miami in the NBA. And that would be cool because, like you said, yeah. there's not going to be a huge fan advantage. Arizona's not going to pack out like the Western Regional somewhere. It's not going to be fans like that. It's not going to be the, right. those rabid fan bases are going to take a hit for this year, whether it's Arizona, Kentucky, the Cameron Crazies, those five or six schools that we, we, we know that have like national fan bases. It's yeah. not going to be there this year. And, and that's okay. You know, other programs will get uh, a little more shine and, and the storylines will be a little different on TV was, as we watch college basketball. So it's going to yeah, be maybe- an interesting season. I mean, Devin, I've said it before. If I was a somebody, if I wasn't an NBA lottery pick, I know we've been talking about, you know, kind of we're getting into our mode of, of kind of predicting the NBA draft, and we're getting ready for the NBA draft on, um, on the eight on the eighteenth of November. Like I would redshirt <laughs> if I could redshirt. I would yeah. redshirt this year. I hear you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And if I'm a if I'm a two. If I'm a two, wait, what what year are we in? We're in 2020, right? Yeah. Is if I'm a 220 senior who, you know, is that borderline D1, D2 type of talent, um, and you're you're still uncommitted right now, I mean, what's wrong with taking a prep year in this year, right? Yeah, this like, is the year to take a prep year. Correct. You know what, so a, kid, this is year. You know what a kid told me, uh, Devin, and his yeah. dad, I was talking to him a little bit. He was kind of, he wanted some um, input of what's going on. And he didn't really know about the dates. He has a son going to Warren High School in Downey, and he's going to be a pretty okay. good player down the line. And I've known him for a long time. And I go, well, he goes, well, yeah. I go, well, what is the what is the coach doing? Are you guys going to play? He goes, we're going to play in some, a few things maybe. But he's he's also going to play with his travel team. And he goes, I'm looking at it as the way I played in high school ball. Like I got 20 games as a freshman. Like he's going to be a sophomore. By the time the season comes around in 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 CIF season in March, right. so he's like, if he can get some travel ball games in, and then play with Warren, it'll like he'll be a sophomore already, and he'll just be playing his freshman year. So he's looking at it as a positive, like he's just gonna get games in. So experience wise, yeah, experience wise is okay. You know what I mean? He's gonna get yeah. like two seasons in, and and that's gonna be. What a, a a kid can do on on the prep ranks, you know, like you said, if you're yeah. twenty and you don't know where you're going, play another round of games this fall and this this winter, because that's what a high school kid can do, and kind of get a double dip, you know, he, do it twice and and get that experience, especially if you're a young player, like you said, you don't have uh, a bunch of college offers, you're not this big time Issa Silva, Peyton Watson. Uh, Kennedy, you know, Dixon Waters type player, you know, get the experience and, and try to take yeah. advantage of this. Right. I think, I mean, for me, for that 224 player, I don't think 224s, 223s really need to be, you know, concern themselves with playing the, in the, in the fall or winter, you know, with, with a club team, because how many guys like you or me are out watching this stuff? Yeah. Like in person, not a whole lot of, of scouts or oh, yeah. or people with connections are out watching it. And I think he's just you know, taking for, it from the game of game sure. experience. No, sure, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you want your kid to play like and get out there and get game experience, that's great. But as far as an exposure type of thing, two twenty fours don't aren't really concerned. You, you know, our guy Deshaun Bryant, his son Carter Bryant, is an incoming freshman. Uh, I think he's like up to six 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 seven now. He's a big kid. Yeah, 
talented. He's, yeah, talented. Right, he's going to be you know a a pretty good player down the line if he keeps his head down and focuses. Um, and I was talking to Deshaun the other day in, in a similar sense that you were talking to your friend, and I told him like you know I, I don't think Carter needs to be worried about exposure events right now. No. Um, and, and you know driving to Utah or whatever it may be to play in Dino's event or or. You know, flying to Saint, uh, flying to Vegas, and, and driving to St. George. I think oh, for two twenty fours, it's not that important right now. Yeah. To get that exposure, because just not a whole lot of people are are watching those events. Obviously, we watch in the live stream, but Carter Bryant has four years of high school basketball in front of him, and club basketball, and eventually the pandemic is going to subside, and we'll get back to normal at some point. So, for for two twenty ones and two twenty twos, I get it. But, you know, 223s and 224s, there's still plenty of time to get those exposure events under your belt and, and get your name out there. So, um, but again, you know, playing and staying in shape and, and keeping game speed and staying sharp, that makes sense to me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, everybody's going to have different motive, different outlooks. But you're right. For a 224 generally, don't, don't fret, don't panic. Just communicate. The thing is, you, just communicate. Yeah. If you tell miss one event, coach, yeah, tell the miss one event, it's not a big deal. If yeah. you miss one, if you miss one exposure event or two, it, it's not going to make or break yeah. your recruitment or quote unquote ranking. You, there's no need to worry about that stuff. If you're 224, 223, like, I mean, it, you know, the, the operators of camps like that may tell you it's going to hurt your recruitment or you need to be, you know, getting exposure, but it, it's not, it really isn't. Yeah. I, I think the main thing is communicate with your travel coach and high school coach, what you plan to do. So he's not, um, I'm speaking mostly for the kids in California. So he's not blindsided. I guess the word I'm looking for, you know, just communicate now. Hey coach, we're going to play a little bit with the travel team in November, December, January, if we can, are you going to play? How many events are we going to play in as a quasi club team? Sure. You know, can you let me know? Okay, well, this I plan on doing this this weekend, and when the season starts, you know, if there's a live NCAA live period, coach, I do plan on playing with my 16 and under team on this weekend, April 26. So now's a good time to try to plan out your calendar, communicate with your coaches, both sides. So when those dates come, everybody knows what's going on, and and the, and the high school coach doesn't feel like, man, this kid took off on us in the middle of the season. Yeah. And the club coach feels the same way, like, oh, I thought you were going to play with us. You know, communication is important with, with, the, with the parents, coaches, travel coaches, the whole, you know, just try to have a, like you said, more than the exposure, have a plan, whatever that plan is. You know, if you're not going to play this winter, work out, have a plan to work out, you know, four, four or five times a week, whatever it is, with your group, with your friends at school, whatever the case may be. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's the most important thing, to keep a positive attitude and to plan. Because you said, you know, everybody doesn't need – nobody's getting the exposure they used to. So everybody's in the same boat. Exactly. You know, unless you're getting millions of hits on on, yeah. on 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 social media like Mikey Williams, don't worry about it. You're not yeah. – everybody's in the same boat. Exactly. Yep. Planning – I agree with you. Planning is important. Um, you know, communicating with the high school coach who you – your parents and your high school coach and your club coaches are all on the same page. Very important in uncertain times. Someone who Ronnie does some, does a lot of planning um, that, you know, 
the general public doesn't know about until it's too late is Michael Jordan recently announced that he is going to be joining longtime NASCAR driver Denny Hamlin to create a NASCAR team, which will be headlined by driver Bubba Wallace. Are you surprised at all that MJ is making this move? No, I think MJ um, well, he's got a lot of money, Devin. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. He's got a lot of money. He does. So he likes to play around and get into something. He's, you know, like the competitive juices. And, you know, he doesn't talk about it much uh, because we know him as this great basketball player. But it's like, you know, Jordan likes to jump on a motorcycle. He likes to go bike riding, as we we learned in the, the last dance. He likes these goofy things, as we call them goofy things, you know, like to keep his competitive juices going. And him being from the Carolinas, growing up in the Carolinas, like, I can see how he likes NASCAR. Right. And, you know, and it's second nature, you know. He probably likes the actions, something to do, and something to be involved in to keep him busy, you know. Um, Kudos to Jordan. I don't know. I don't have a lot of details about it. I don't know, you know, exactly what, you know, he entails. I know he's been involved in things like that before. Um. And I'm sure Michael Jordan has made a lot of money and he's lost a lot of money. So if he loses, you know, if it doesn't work out, he's going to like, okay, what am I going to do next that's going to work? That's he's going to he's gonna go to the golf course and yeah. challenge some random dude to, yeah. you know, 2000 bucks a hole, you know, and make that yeah. money back, whatever it may be. Yeah, he's going to challenge himself in some, yeah. in some fashion and enjoy himself. I mean, the guy is making more money than – it's funny if we talk about that like – uh, in his younger days in Chicago, he wasn't making that much money, especially. And then we look at Scottie Pippen, he really wasn't making that much money. So then now Jordan is just making oodles of money. Like to me, he's like the only athlete that really made money in the pandemic. Like, yeah, everybody's businesses were like on shaky ground. And, oh, man, I'm going to have to change my business model. And like the Air Jordan and the Jordan brand is just like Scott. Like, you know, we talked about Under Armour, Adidas, and even to an extent Nike that the future of grassroots basketball might be a little different. But then when you look at like the Jordan brand, it's just like selling off the, how about his cards, Devin? Like even, okay, I was young enough. I'm kind of kicking myself in the foot because I have a lot of baseball cards and I have basketball cards. Like why didn't I just keep a few more of those? Why didn't I just get a couple of those Fleer boxes? I know, dude. 87 Fleer boxes. I could have got, for 50 bucks, I could have got three of them. And I would be sitting on 500 grand right now. Yeah. You know, so even if you did it 10 years later in 1987, 1997, you could still have found them for like a hundred bucks. Well, easy. I was a, I collected a lot of baseball and, and basketball cards when I was a kid. And I think that's making a comeback now. It's making kind of a comeback a little bit. Yeah. Which is, which is really cool to me. But yeah. do I wish that I didn't like throw, like you, you had the binders, right? Yeah. With the, the plastic inserts and you put each card in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Do I wish that I wouldn't have, trash those cards and um you know when i when i got old enough and it kind of became just you know uh uh, uh taking up space or taking up or space collecting dust or whatever it may be and then you toss them out do i do i wish i had those back to have see if i had like a jordan rookie card for sure yeah but i don't and I'm, yeah. i don't i'm not sitting on 500k unfortunately but yeah it just shows how jordan brand kind of has transcended multiple sports in my opinion you look at started obviously with in basketball and then look at like a guy like Derek Jeter in baseball. Yeah. Roy Jones Jr. I think Roy Jones Jr. in boxing. Yeah. Um, there's a golfer now. I forgot. I forget his name. What is his name? He's, he's representing Jordan brand. Um, hang on. I'm going to, 
Yeah. To your point, I was your football football yeah. stuff. Um, what's this guy's name? His name is just synonymous with Harold like, Harold Harold Varner the third is the golfer. Okay. Gotcha. He um, has he won a couple PGA events like me? Yeah, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, he's pretty good. And he wears Jordan Brand gear, like, and Jordan Brand is starting to come out with golf shoes, you know. And I'm trying to cop some, but they go really quickly. Like people are buying those golf shoes really quickly. So Dude, his name is synonymous with anything now. Like so now he's moving. Yeah, now he's moving into NASCAR, and it's just it just makes a lot of sense. I mean, Devin, um, even if you don't watch the race, don't tell me you're not going to try to check out the car when he when he pulls oh, for out. Oh, sure. Hundred percent. What it looks I, like? It's my look dude. Sweet. You know what I mean? My, I remember my grandpa used to sit in in his bedroom with his TV on and just sit there and watch NASCAR all day long. I'm like, what the hell is this dude doing? Like, yeah. how is that fun to watch? I don't I don't get it. But I'm going to watch the first time Bubba Wallace you know comes out in a Jordan brand huh. car. I want to see what it looks like. I want to see what yeah. is. I want to see what his racing jumpsuit looks like. Yeah. I want to see what shoes he's wearing. I want to see all of it. And yeah. Because it's so associated to, with the Jordan brand. To be able to have that kind of reach and be able to transcend multiple sports with high-level athletes is is something that that we may know again. No other yeah. athlete could ever touch potentially. Yeah, well, I'm not sure we're going to see that again. We're not seeing it. I mean, Steph Curry was kind of rolling there for a while. I was like, whoa, this guy's getting real big. But his shoes sucked. Yeah, but. Again, the the Under Armour <laughs> yeah. connection to they it didn't it didn't it didn't fly the way Jordan is has, has for the last few years and it's funny because I have my baseball cards I take care of them I just didn't like the basketball cards that much you know I just like and now I like you say kick myself in the foot because I could have had a few boxes of those Fleers I think our guy David Astromagus who's a great guy on social media for Ball's Life he has a box. Um, of that 86, 87 Fleer. And I think we were, t- me and him were talking about it a few years ago, uh, on like a, you know, a, a Ball's Life retreat somewhere. And it was worth about 25 to 30 K then. That was three years ago, maybe. Devin, and that's what it's that, probably worth 150 now. That's before it was taken off. Yeah. That's way before it was, t- it was worth 30 K when it was now down. It's worth yeah. 90 K at that's least. Crazy. 100k 110 somewhere in that mode that's just nuts because again like we said 20 years ago you could have had that box for a hundred dollars and when they came out you could have had that box for 14.95 and people were like eh, i'm gonna go collect wally joiner and uh, mark mcguire like georgia basketball cards are okay right it's because the basketball cards before jordan came on were not that highly desirable the the design and the Magic Johnson, Dr. J cards, and those guys from the early days, they're just people like baseball cards. They just look better. They had more history. The basketball cards were like, yeah, they're okay. So yeah. Me, like in many other, didn't get involved, but some smart kids did. Like, damn, this Jordan guy is going to be huge. Right. They're sitting on a bank right now. So kudos to them if you have some Jordan cards. I have a few. I might even have the rookie, but uh, I've never looked at it like, damn, I have a $30,000 rookie Jordan. Like, I might just have one. And I've I never put it aside like with I have some Hank Aaron cards. I have Pete Rose. I have some cards from the 60s and 70s, but they, they don't hold that card doesn't hold any weight compared to those cards. Yeah. Just because of what they mean, I guess, because my dad liked those cards. You know, his friends liked them. 
tops, you know, 60 tops, 70 tops. Oh, yeah, for sure. I wish Dude, I could those go. Those cards mean a lot. Yeah. You know yeah, what I mean? I wish, I wish I could go back. And I'm sure your dad had some. No, he wasn't much of a card no. guy. No? No. No, we, no, he wasn't. He was, uh, he was in the military, so. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, didn't really get into that. Um, I had a ton. My brother had a ton. All of our friends, you know, childhood friends on the on the neighborhood street had a ton. But I think you know, they were just too mass produced by the time you guys were sure. collecting us. Yeah, yeah, they that makes sense. They weren't rare. They weren't right. They're just everywhere. They don't have a lot of meaning. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. My dad was kicked out of his house by by sixteen years old, so I don't think he had a lot of time to <laughs> to grab to, uh, to collect his cards uh, or have anywhere to put them other than his the back seat of his car. So, so let me ask you this: Did your yeah. dad almost give you the quick hook, like? Because he got the quick hook or nah, no, how are you good? No, nah, it was different. It was different. Um, I did have to pull my own weight. You know yeah. what I mean? As yeah. far as living at home. Um, he didn't give you the quick hook. No, nah, I had to pay for my own college and all that stuff. So I had to be, you know, financially individual in that manner. I had to pay for my own health insurance and things like that. Um, but as far as kicking me out of the house, nah. it, it wasn't like that. He He got, you know, he got booted out at 16. And, uh, uh, he, he was happy about getting booted out at 16. So I think, I, I think he tried to, to do that and couldn't coexist with the lifestyle that his parents wanted him to live. So he was, he was, he was ready to get out by that time, but interesting. he was, he was, he was living in his car by 16 and, and, you know, playing at Marina high school at a high level, um, at the same time. So, uh, bouncing around to couch to couch and friend, friends, houses, oh, dude, things when like he that. Got so. kicked, when he got kicked out, his, his numbers probably just skyrocketed. Oh, up. they for sure skyrocketed. Went up. No doubt. No, his, yeah, his assist, his assist rate went up. His, uh, his, his, his scoring rate went up. So he was, he was definitely, he I'm definitely benefited from it. He benefited from it for sure. Interesting. So yeah, yeah, as we wrap this up, you know, um, we're talking about prepare, preparation, what's going on. I think we'd be remiss not to mention what's happening in the world because like I said, we're work. I'm working on the fab 50. We're trying to get it, uh, out. Uh, before, you know, the election and, you know, we're not necessarily talking about the results of the election just because of what could happen. And as we're shooting this pod, uh, like a grand jury came back in Louisville, Kentucky about any potential criminal charges in the, in the shooting of Breonna Taylor. It looks like one officer was charged, but he was already fired. He was charged for wanton endangerment. I think for either discharging a firearm in the vicinity or to the neighbor's house, but it has nothing to do with the actual death of Brianna Taylor. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about. Like these things are going to come up this year in this Mm -hmm. season and it could just set us back at any time, you know, like, so there's some events going on and, you know, we're, I'm going to go to the frost soft camp. We'll, we'll talk about it next week, but like these things keep happening. And so it just can change at any time, you know, like, we hopefully there's not a lot of civil unrest uh, this week as these charges are coming out. And, you know, we'll see about it in, 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 in the election and future incidents. It's just like a never ending thing right now. Yeah, they're talking about it. We, we almost have to talk about it because it affects everybody's lives. But it's like we wish we could just talk about basketball. But we, we're, we're sitting here today because of those reasons. Obviously, yeah, for sure. We, if things like that happen, we have to talk about it because it impacts everyone from basketball to daily life and whatever it may be. Um, yeah, you'll be, you'll be in St. George again this weekend for Dinos's frost soft camp, uh, on the West. I'll watch on the live stream 
and then we'll be able to discuss that on the next podcast, uh, standouts and things like that. And for you and me, Ronnie, it's always good to get back to talking about, you know, live high school basketball. Um, yeah, I think we touched on a little bit of everything here, man, from, from, uh, basketball to baseball to card collecting to NASCAR, one of our most uh, well-rounded podcasts of the 82 that we've done. And we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week to the In the Paint show presented by Ball is Life. Make sure to give us a subscribe and a like on you know the various platforms, whether it's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify, we're on any podcast platform that you can find. Um, make sure to check out all of our content uh, written in video on ballislife.com. We've got some good draft stuff up. We've got some other podcasts in our network that you guys should take a look at and listen to um, while you're listening to ours. Um, but we appreciate you guys tuning in each and every week. And until next week, Ronnie and Devin are signing off. <laughs>